everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us. Another outstanding episode. This one's about mastering the mysteries of titles and outlines. We know you'll enjoy this discussion and workshop. Get ready for this great episode full of learning, laughter, and new ideas for readers and writers. Today we'll share and discuss strategies and techniques for designing great titles and exploring many ways to work with outlines as we write across genres. We all hear different approaches from our participants and will engage in a short workshop activity. Fire up your note taker and get ready for another exciting adventure with your fellow bibliophiles at Writing Works Wonders. I'm Dr. Kathy King and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Thanks, Kathy. Hi, everybody. And I have the master of the universe, Kathy Kings. An overview of our workshop today on titles and outlines. We want to have our Zoom participants chime in on this topic as we talk about titles and outlines. Our goal is to reveal the secrets we know on this topic. There are so many ways that we approach titles and outlines in the different genres in which we write because all of us write in different areas. So we'll begin with guiding questions, but then open it up so that if you have questions on these topics, we'll have an opportunity for you to ask those as well. We're going to start off discussing titles first, and then we'll move on to outlines. And when we think about identifying titles, We want to be sure, Cheryl and I were talking about this, we want to be sure to include in our thinking book titles, essay titles, we are thinking about articles, writing for newsletters, poem titles, short stories, titles for your prompt responses. If you're doing a blog, if you're doing a podcast or a Zoom call, we have to come up with titles every week. So there are many different venues and places that we have to come up with titles in order to draw in an audience or a reader. There are a lot of different ways that you can do this. Some of them, you might have just a divine inspiration, it would seem like. They just fly into your head. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's grueling to come up with a title. Just doesn't seem like it's coming to you. Or you might sometimes be able to tap a friendly team of colleagues or friends or draft family members to brainstorm with you on titles. So just setting the scene for thinking about titles right now. Then we'll move over to outlines after this. Cheryl, over to you. We want to emphasize that titles, sometimes they're easy, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're going to come before the article or book, and sometimes they'll come while you're in process. However, there are times when we need to turn in a title before we're finished with our work. That's where I have struggled throughout the years, my confidence in knowing I can deliver on that title. Because when we turn in a title or we title a book, we need to deliver on what that title says. For an example, I have a series title, The Adventure of a Guide Dog Team. If I only put my books out there that said, Cindy and Sammy Training at the Mall, 
Cindy and Sammy meet new friends at the zoo. Surprise, Sammy, it's your birthday. History, mystery in Philadelphia with Cindy, Sammy, and friends. People would see the girl and the guide dog with a mall picture. But those of us who have guide dogs know that not everyone figures out our dog is a guide dog. Cindy and Sammy meet new friends at the zoo. Yes, there's other zoo animals on there, but what's this about? And so by having this subtitle underneath every title of the book, it says The Adventure of a Guide Dog Team. People know they're going to be learning about a guide dog team within the story of these books. So let's talk about what comes first, your title or your article or your book. Well, let's take three answers, Janelle. First up, we have Jane Tolino. Titles are amazing things. Sometimes they're like, shh, let me tell you the secret so you can get a hold of it that way. Sometimes they're absolutely definite. Uh, If it's an article, it has to be down to it. Here's what's coming uh, kind of thing. I think titles are wonderful fun to come up with. Uh, They're really important. It's how I most remember a book. I'll remember its title. And then, oh, yes, here's the author. (laughs) So I think that's important to keep in mind. Next up, we have Annie Davis. Because a lot of times I used to come up with the title first, and then I start writing. I'm like, but maybe I have a better idea for a title. Because mm-hmm. the tendency is to change your mind as you go writing. So my practice lately has been, don't come up with the title first. It's so good to be here. It's been forever. Good to have you. Next is Carol Mackey. Hi. Well, since I write short, relatively short poetry, the poem comes first because I don't always know where it's going to go. And then I come up with the title. And I love coming up with titles. Thank you. We can keep going on this. What comes first, the title or your story? And then what do you do when you, when you can't figure out your title? Do you brainstorm with friends? Do you just keep writing and wait? And let's see what we got. Amy? Um, I always think of my titles afterwards. Uh, just write my story first. If I ever get stuck, I have kind of like a mobile that I pull from of thoughts or um, ideas of where I want to go. Random thoughts that are in a, a folder, but I just, I think of it as a mobile and like, oh, I need something here and I'll pull from that and just head towards whatever that idea is. Thanks, Amy. Lisa? I I agree with uh, doing the story first because I wrote about a hiking adventure with my guide dog and the title was totally, nobody knew what it was. Nobody had any clue what it meant until they heard the story. And as the story progressed, it created and there was excitement and elevation. If I would have told what the story was about, it would have lost some of the momentum and some of the suspense that, you know, I think it kind of lends itself to kind of be open like, oh, what's that? What's that title? You know, it's unusual, it's my opinion. 
Carla Hayes. I tend, this is weird. It might sound wishy-washy, but sometimes the title comes first. Sometimes the work comes first. And I tend though, when I'm writing nonfiction to always start with the title, because that sort of becomes part of my thesis and theme statement. And it's, it's telling, I know what I'm have to write about, or I'm supposed to write about, or want to write about and, and it's easier, but with the creative writing, the poem, the story, uh, a lot of times what I'll do is if I can't come up with the title, I'll just make the title whatever it's about and then keep on writing. And soon a keyword or an idea will emerge and that will become the title. Um, it will become, and then, um, you know, I test the title. I'll put it up there and I love electronic um, devices because you can move things and delete things and paste them. And you couldn't do that with a Perkins. But what I'll do is I will perch the title on top of the work and then read through the work again. And if it fits, I'll keep it. If it doesn't fit, I'll go back to the drawing board and maybe another idea will jump out. And I know that sounds convoluted, but that works for me. No, not at all. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheryl? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you permission. Kathy, would you like to say something? <laughs> so I, I totally agree with um, Carla. That's my experience, too, is that nonfiction, uh, very often the, the title anchors your work and guides you to where you're headed, specifies the scope of what you're writing. And you might refine it further later on and zero in or make it a little more catchy. But it very often defines where you're headed for your reader, uh, for your editor. Maybe if something was assigned to you to write or you were asked to write, etc. So nonfiction, I think, can be quite different. But there is definitely a, a process. I really like the way Carla described that. And other people were talking about it, too. Feeling free to throw an idea up there, a draft title, and then working with it letting it evolve over time, letting it morph, changing it around, seeing if it fits. Carla was describing putting it there and seeing how it fit together, reading it through, changing it up some. You know, you might have other people read it with different titles and get their reactions, what they thought fit best, but not being afraid to try different titles and keep tweaking it and adjusting it and looking for different parts of your story that you could pull out. Cheryl, maybe you could at some point talk about your recent one, the holiday book, and how you came up with mm -hmm. that title, the process you went through, and where you mm -hmm. finally pulled that title from. Sure. I wrote the second sister book about a year and a half ago, but I didn't have a title, and I knew I did not want it to be Sister Christmas or Sister Holiday. So I've been sitting on this book. Recently, I thought about the girls going skiing with new skis. They have some difficulties, so they let the skis go down the hill by themselves. And then they decide they're going down the hill on their bellies, using their coats. Woohoo! Then it's the same thing when they plop back and they're going to make snow angels. And then they run around and they find another clearing of snow. And it's like, wow! And they flop back. And they scoop up the clean snow and they snow cones. And they make decide they're going to eat some snow. 
it made me think of Hootin, like H-O-O-T-I-N apostrophe holiday, Hootin holiday, because these girls are Hootin sisters. That's how I came up with it. And the subtitle, of course, is Sister Shenanigans. And now let's hear from Marlene. I want to say about titles. I like titles and I like them so much that I put titles on my chapters as well and I think that helps to make the book more interesting because if you're physically looking at the book and deciding if you want to buy it or not not only reading the jacket summary but you can go and look at the titles and the contents and see if that grabs you because I mean chapter one chapter two yeah you have a, a break but I only leave that there temporarily if I don't have a chapter title already when I start. And I think that uh, chapter titles kind of help grab the book. Thank you. I don't think I've done it with every one of my books, but thank you. Uh, Two more hands. Jane Tolino. I loved your comment about the chapters. I love to see if there are chapters and when they go one, two, up to 95, I go, oh my gosh, can I pace myself for 95 chapters? When I think about titles, I love quotes from things, and I'm trying to find the J.R.R. Tolkien thing about all that glitters isn't gold or doesn't stay. And I would love to be able to turn that inside out uh, and make it a come on kind of title. What glitters, where'd it go or something. I just have thought about that. And my new favorite one, it's just an F word. 40 is just an F word. Jump in the water is fine. I'm trying to work on the, the, the sequel to the first memoir I wrote. And I want to focus on the things you think, the way you learn to think, why you slow down, if you slow down, as you grow older. So I go... 40s, just an F word, jump in the water, swine. That's my working title. I don't know if it will stay that way, but I'm kind of liking it. But titles are crucial, and I love chapter titles. Annie Davis. I agree. I think chapter titles do make a story more interesting. And, you know, especially those that are more attention grabbing. I have a novel in the works. Although I'm actually based on some new ideas I have, I'm making some changes to the to the main title and the chapter titles. But you know, in the Bean Trees, the one that got away, you know, it just makes you want to know what's coming next. Very good. Yeah, we'll take Carla and then Kathy if you have insight, and I'll turn it over to you. I agree with you about quotes and parts of quotes and maybe song titles. I have a memoir on the back burner about my life at the School for the Blind where I went. And some of the titles for the chapters are things like Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. And that's about dorm life, the sound of music about the band and the choir and things. But I think one of the most interesting titles that I have, and it's a bit controversial, is In Sickness and in Hell. When I was a kid, I thought that um, the health center was the hell center. And I remember asking this really nice nurse, why is it called the hell center? She says, honey, it's not hell center. It's health, you know, health, how you feel, H-E-A-L-T-H. And I never heard that word before as a six-year-old. So, you know, I was saying, why is this nice place called a hell center? (laughs) But, you know, so some of it has a little bit of you know, humor behind it. Um, But those are what the titles of the various sections are shaping up to be like. And I hope that someday I have the courage to write it. 
Those are great ideas, good examples. Thank you, Marlene, for bringing in the thoughts about chapter titles. We found a couple of great resources about creating titles. One is title-generator.com. It's free to use online. We'll post these with the show notes. And you put in keywords related to what you're writing, and it generates a bunch of different titles. And what it does is it's especially good, I think, for newsletter types articles and put in um, 10 tips about such and such or five ways to do such and such or the secrets about such and such. And then it has your keywords in it, but it creates hundreds of possibilities. And so browsing through that could not only give you ideas about titles, but ideas about articles or essays or whatever you would want to write on a keyword. You could come up with a focus for what you would write. So that's title-generator.com. And then another source I was looking at was at writing.umn.edu. It's University of Minnesota. And we'll put this link up as well. 20 title tips for the writer. And it was talking about 20 different ways to create a title for whatever you're writing. And it seems like what they're doing is you'd create 20 different titles. And then that would give you an idea of a direction you would want to go. Things like take the first sentence, uh, what you're writing, and use that as the title. Take the first sentence and work it around and use that as the title. Pick out of the essay some concrete image, something that's a major issue that the reader could hear or see or taste or smell or feel. Use that as a title. That's kind of what I think I can hear that Cheryl did, Hooten Holiday. She took a major image major theme of the book. Another one was pick another concrete image that's not major in the story. Then they had a couple of them that Cheryl and I were looking at, uh, create a two-word title or a three-word title or a four-word title. So we wanted to throw that at you folks for a minute and give you a little activity. We're going to put you all on the spot for this little exercise, sir. Put on your thinking caps. Two or three-word title. You're going to create a new one for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. What's your two or three word title? Okay. Annie is up first. Then Carol Mackey. Annie Davis. Arg. <laughs> uh, the confused princess. But actually, it's the queen who's more confused. So Excellent. Thank you. Carol Mackey, then Lisa G. The snowed princess. Kindness is repaid. Hmm. Cheryl. Girl meets seven boys. <laughs> I've got princess troop. Sounds good. They're all marching along with her. So our next topic is we wanted to talk about outlines, outlines, and outlines. And I know this is a controversial topic. We have lots of different ways that people use outlines or dislike outlines or love outlines. You folks know where I am on this topic. I am a fan of outlines. This is where I get my name of master of the universe <laughs> is actually regarding outlines, because this is where I have a whole shtick that I do when I teach writing is that you are master of the universe. You can create an outline for what you're going to write in nonfiction, especially, but it is not to constrain you. It is not to put you in a straight jacket. It is to serve as a guide. And if you find that you need to include more or rearrange things, you are master of the universe and you can rearrange it. 
You can add in things, you can take things out that you don't need because you're master of the universe when it comes to your writing project. I keep that in mind and try to emphasize that because a lot of people think that when they use an outline, I don't know where this comes from, it, it's the way we were taught in elementary school or what, that if you use an outline, you have to follow it very strictly and cannot deviate. Even if there's no teacher over your shoulder or grading you, but you cannot deviate from that outline once you lay it out. And I don't see it that way at all. I think it can provide structure and guidance, but you have all this freedom. If you remember Gumby, you have all this flexibility to be able to bend and morph and adjust it. Why then bother with an outline? Because very often we have space limitations, number of words, a number of pages, or we don't want to bore the reader. So we're trying to stay focused. And so the outline can give us focus and tie together um, the, the path that we're trying to follow in our writing, whether we're covering a topic or we're telling a story. Uh, so that's the main thing. Now, sometimes there are circumstances, I've been in book contract situations where you create an outline, you do a proposal, you give a sample chapter, you get an approval and a contract, and you do have a tight commitment to an outline because that is what they're purchasing from you. And if you make significant changes to it, rearrange chapters, add extra things or subtract, you have to get approval. But that's not the sort of circumstance most of us write in. We don't, most of us on this call do not write in those circumstances. But I did want to say there are circumstances where outlines can be very strict. Let's talk a little bit about outlines. I'd like to hear from you folks. What do you see as the benefits and restrictions of using an outline in your particular writing genre? And what does it mean for you to use an outline? Like, do any of you have in your mind some sort of outline, bullet points or whatever, when you write a poem or a sonnet. I don't know who I'm talking about when I say sonnet, but I think somebody on this call writes sonnets. I'm just teasing. How do you use them? What are the benefits and restrictions for the type of writing that you do? Chanel? First up is Amy. I've written both ways, so with or without an outline. I noticed that during a novel, it's good to definitely have an outline. I write the outline and then I look at my notes afterwards and see how much I deviated from it because you're forever getting fresh new ideas as you're writing, things you want to put in that weren't in your original outline. For me, outlines help. Um, it also keeps me on track and you know, not make the book boring and also... So it keeps you focused. It's that focus piece, right? Keeping you on track, moving towards your target. It does, but I can always bring in new stuff and new material. And yeah, I like it because I, I generally uh, develop my characters first. Like I'll, I'll have a general idea of what I want the book to be about. And then I develop my characters. Thank you, Amy. Next up is Mary Carla Hayes. Okay, with nonfiction outlines for me are a must and if there's something that I am supposed to write about an article for a magazine, it helps me to stick to the point and not go beyond the focus of the article. Um, as far as when I'm writing short stories or, you know, novels and things like that, um, outlines are very helpful because 
I have I have two maybe two or three different outlines for a uh, a work. I might have a plot outline, and then a um, character outline. And, and so by by breaking them up, it, it sort of helps me to do that. On the other hand, I do not let the outlines, especially when I'm writing creative writing, fiction, whatever, I don't let them constrain me so much that it's, you know, that it um, stifles my creativity. And I, I rarely, if ever, write outlines for poems. Poems just sort of come. But then I have to be careful to sift through and make sure everything belongs in that poem when I'm done. So those are my thoughts. Mary Carla, may, can I ask, with your character outlines, when I, I've been writing my sci-fi book, I was finding I was doing a character outline for each character, kind of traveling them through the book, right? Is that what you're talking about? Or are you yes. doing something different? Well, there's that and also the, the characteristics of the person, yes. the, char- the personality mm-hmm. traits, and how they either support or don't support the plot structure. And what that does is, you know, if you're writing anything that's worth its salt, you want to have some dynamic characters. You want to have characters Mm -hmm. that change. And if you see by going through that outline that the character is too static or not very dimensional, like a cardboard cutout, the outline really helps you if you're doing a character outline to identify those traits and maybe to remedy them. Thank you for articulating that for us. Next up is Diane Landy. Uh, Hello, everyone. I'm a first-time caller. I'm so happy to have found you all, and thank you so much. Um, Welcome. Yeah, thanks. I uh, I write for children, mostly picture books. I also do a little bit of poetry and inspirational work, but I am working on my first middle grade that I'm very excited about. I've started a couple of other middle grades, but they just kind of uh, never... (laughs) kept my attention wrapped enough to complete them but I am outlining this one and it is um, I consider it sort of a my loose guide as someone said earlier where you know it's adjustable of course but what it really helps for me is just to kind of go through and determine what the scenes I want that will kind of help with my pacing of the story so, you know, you kind of, uh, you want to make sure that you've got, um, you know, rising conflict and, you know, there's character change and, and it's getting deeper and deeper into problematic situations. And then sometimes you need to have kind of a calm spot, <laughs> you know, when you've had a bunch of activity, you don't want to just kind of keep it going. You need to have uh, quiet moments as well. And, it really helps with my pacing and making sure as it's an adventure story. So there's a lot of travel involved. And by doing this too, I've been able to map the setting of where it is because I can see where the characters are moving through the story. And then I can kind of create a graphic map of the story and make sure I'm staying true to that. So um, I'm finding it very helpful. And with that, I kind of put, you know, what are the key character elements here um, for both the the main character and the secondary characters, you know, kind of what's happening. So, yeah, that's it. Thank Thank you. you. I love the way you describe that. Very good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Thanks. Okay, so next we have Carol Mackey. 
For my normal, quote-unquote, poetry, I don't use any kind of format. It just comes out. But when I'm writing a sonnet or a villanelle or something that has a form, like the rhyme form, this, the first and third or whatever the rhyme form has to be, I have to do a, an outline because that's, it's a strict, like with a sonnet, there's a strict form and um, uh, for each, what has to rhyme and how many syllables in each line, line, et cetera, and with different ones. So that, that is, that's very helpful for doing that because they're tough. They're, you have to follow the form and that's what they're all about. So that I do use outlines for those. Thanks. I had a feeling for sonnets, people were using some sort of outline. All right. Next, we have Marlene Massat. Uh, I want to talk about two types of outlines, but like when Kathy mentioned sonnet, I have a book called The Cat Stalker's Sonnets. Basically, if, you, if you're if very basic, a sonnet is a 14-line poem. But then you can get into this three different types of sonnets and the specific rhyme scheme that goes with that, as Carol was talking about. Start with a basic structural outline with a novel, like the elements of a story, like the mood, the uh, setting, the point of view, the major minor characters, the plot, that type of thing. But then when I do a chapter outline, I do that along with the chapters. I'll sort of keep it on the side. And as I write a chapter, I write a couple sentences for the outlines like of what I want to happen in the chapter or something important that needs to be in there. The problem comes in when I start. I've got this outline and I got this great idea and I come up with a couple of sentences to start and I'm rough and running. So I'm a pantser and then I get to the middle of the novel. I know where I'm going, but not how I'm getting there. And then I get stuck. (laughs) So take it from there. (laughs) thank you so much I really that's very interesting the way you have your chapter outline and you also have those other notes going with it to go along with it I really like that terrific next is Annie Davis hello I'm so glad that we're having this discussion because I actually have a love-hate relationship with outlines (laughs) I understand why we have to do them. I hate doing them, but it, they are helpful. And I'm finding, particularly with this novel that I'm working on, if I just start writing, I don't know where it's going to go. And I'm actually having a harder time now because I have concepts, I have ideas, but I don't have an order. So I understand the benefits of having an order because once that outline is written then the essay or novel or whatever writes itself. Thank you, Annie. Yes. Kathy, I'd just like to encourage everybody, if you have lost your sight, if you are losing your sight, and you're used to handwriting, I always liked having two pages open in front of me when I was writing an outline. Then I had to learn different ways of doing things when I no longer had the paper in front of me to jot notes. Sometimes I might have my cell phone, the PC, my iPad going all at the same time doing research. So what works today may not work tomorrow, but be open to adjusting using more than one device if you have to dictating your outline first, then typing it up. Just be open when we close our mind off and say, I can't do this, or I can't see anymore and I can't do this. 
be open to the change. Thanks. And that's really important because, as some of you know, my site changed dramatically three years ago. I'd been always fully sighted before then. I'd written a lot, was a published author, and I had my system down. And guess what? That system wasn't going to work anymore. And I was so frustrated. And it wasn't until this past January that I finally got to a point that I could figure out emotionally and technically figure out a different strategy to be able to handle the outlines that I loved using and transform my method into a different system than what I had always used. It was a huge frustration for me because that's what I wanted to do in retirement was right. And I thought it was taken away and finally got past that hurdle. So it's a huge breakthrough, but it took a lot of work on many levels, including technology and psychological, emotional barriers. And this group and Cheryl have been a big part of the encouragement to explore options and be flexible and give myself the the space and freedom to explore different strategies and say different doesn't have to be the same. You know, of course, it can't be the same. And that's okay. I can find a different way. And thankfully, I was able to discover that and build it for myself. So some of the types of outlines I was thinking about, in addition, you folks were coming up with character outlines and plot outlines and integrated outlines that included plot and mood and setting and character development going through them and characteristics. But I was also thinking about sometimes because of my science background, I think I think in terms of a linear outline, what is the progression? And then I also because sometimes I might not be decided on the way an article or what I'm going to write is going to go, I might do a branching outline. So here's one way the story could go. And here's another way it might go for the first couple of chapters one way and then break off and go this other. So I don't know until I get down there, which way I'm going to go with the story. And so I might have it kind of sketched out in two different directions or more to give myself options as to where it might go. When I was working on my sci-fi book and getting the draft down, I had very broad strokes for my for my chapters and, and really only had about four or five chapters sketched out and didn't know what was going to happen next. Kind of had a big overview of the picture, but it emerged. And then I started spilling out. It just spilled out of me the rest of the outline for the book. And my son, Seamus King, has been on the show He was serving as my coach in this because this was my first foray into creative writing and saying, yes, mom, it's okay. That's okay. You can do that method. And it was working for me. Another one is what I call an iterative outline or a cyclical outline where you have a basic outline and it just might be one, two, three, four. Then you go back and you put in sub points. Then the sub points begin to have sub points. And then maybe it's it's at whatever stage you are, you start writing and you start writing what goes in under those sub points. And you might start writing where it's easiest for you. You're most ready to start. And that's where you start writing and you start filling it in. And I call that an iterative method because you keep going back around and filling in more and more. And as you do that, you begin to realize, oh, this needs to be moved or I need more here or less there. So that's another strategy. Sometimes we write things in a chronological outline or format. Sometimes it's thematic. 
I've done books that are both of those thematic where I lay it out that the beginning part introduces what the topic's going to be. The next part is the research method. The next part describes the experiences of the people I study. The final part is how do we apply this? So there's different definite themes for each section of the book. Another one is a uh, a method that's used as a snowflake outline method where you kind of branch off into all different directions. And if you look up snowflake outline or snowflake method up online, you'll find all details on that. That could be a whole episode with that. I wanted to now, because of time, open it up to questions. And just if people have questions about titles or outlines that they want to toss into the group, then we have an opportunity for us to be able to field those. Does that sound good, Cheryl? Absolutely. Okay. Chanel? Yes. Lisa G. I find it in a very good to- converse- topics today. Um, I'm finding something very curious. I, I do poetry. I never thought about outlining it. How do you outline, especially for rhyming and things? It's a very interesting concept for me. I never thought of that before. That's something I'm going to have to digest. And it's nice to know that outlines can be fluid. It doesn't have to be locked in. And like, this is your outline and that's it. Because that's mm-hmm. what I think in college. Mm-hmm. And I, I just used to get, and I used to outline everything. I just used to put everything in. It's like, well, I'm rewriting it basically. So it took me a long, you know, it took, mm-hmm. it took a lot of learning to do outlines. And I think that's, that's really interesting. I, I would think, I don't know, because I never wrote a, a novel, but I would think that it would be necessary to do something in an outline. But um, really good, good, good points, good conversation. Thank you very much. Somebody wants to talk about um, using an outline for poetry rhyming. That would be, I think, a response for Lisa. Yes, you have Alice. Great. Hi, Alice. Hi. I'll just try to quickly answer Lisa's question. I, I think what some people were referring to earlier is really having beside your computer desk or wherever the rhyming pattern or rhyme scheme for the villanelle or whichever form sonnet one is going to use. Technically, that's not an outline. You're just following the rhyme scheme or rhyme pattern. Uh, another example would be for syllabic, the number of syllables. For example, with a pie poem, uh, I've written a number of pie poems, and I have brailled out the number of syllables per line, and that can go on to infinity, but I usually have it for around 35 to the first 35 numbers of pi written out, and I will follow that. But to me, technically, that is not an outline of a poem. It's having the rhyme scheme there for yourself in whatever format you need. If I were, though, going to write a poem that would be considered a book-length poem or uh, just a much longer poem, and I were going to write that poem in different parts or different chapters, if you will, then you could have a, think of a more traditional outline for a much longer poem. And you would do the outline just as you would for, for anything else that you were going to outline. Um, I do have online in a number of places on my blog the guidelines or I mean, syllabic number of syllables pattern for the pie poem, and you can see how that guideline is set up. 
Thank you. Hope that helps, Lisa. Excellent. Thank you for answering yeah. that. Yeah. Thank Cheryl, you. do we have a prompt for next week? Yes, I do. I have never been in a hot air balloon, so I don't have an experience, but I was thinking of a hot air balloon. It can be on a nice day, a stormy day. You're up in the air in a hot air balloon and share what you see, what you feel, what you hear, what you smell, your experiences in your hot air balloon in 100 words or less. Is that good? Yes, I love it. People can email that in, phone it in, Mm -hmm. or post it on the Mm -hmm. website under comments. Thank you, everyone, for making this another fabulous episode. We appreciate your participation. Such great experience and insights all of you shared. Remember, next week, the ACB conference is coming. And so we will not be having a live Zoom call for the next three Fridays, June 24th, 7-1 and 7-8. We will not be live on the Zoom call because of ACB conference. But watch the podcast feed and check out the website. We're going to be posting some fabulous episodes. And we will have a special episode included in there, a pre-recorded one. And when we come back live on the air on 7-15, July 15th, our special guest author will be Amanda Cabot, award-winning and prolific author who has many, many books on NLS Bard. We want you to be encouraged, inspired, and enjoy the wonders of writing. We look forward to being with you next time. Our prompt this week was water, 75 words or less, genre of your choice. And now I'll turn it over to Chanel. Hello, everyone. First up is Carol Mackey, then Jane Tolino. Thank you. Water. Water, water everywhere. Someone famous wrote those lines. I like water well enough, but I don't want it as my shrine. I walk the beach along the waves, and like rain just fine, I love to sit in a warm hot tub. Now that, to me, is divine. Thanks. Thank you. You stole my first line. Yay. (laughs) How, How universal is that? So here we go. Water, water everywhere. I like to drink it, water, water everywhere. I do not want to sink it, water, water. Yes, it is so fine, but I would like to change it into a bottle of wine, and then I'd sing, wine, wine, wine. Do I like it every day, wine, wine, wine. Will I drink it all the way? Right from the top down to the very bottom. Wine, wine, wine. Half full or empty got em. I love your prompts. Thank Erna. you. Lisa mm-hmm. G. With delight, my guide dog cried. A long-anticipated Friday morning kayak ride. My neighbor had stated, heavy rains are coming in sooner than we expected. So quickly we all climbed in. It was only our first trip without her companion dog. She kept a stiff upper lip. The rains did not bother her. I prefer being drier. 
So if we went exploring, enjoying or paddling, we traversed routes untraveled, find mansions unparalleled, I live in Florida, past yachts, sea walls, and kayaks with no boat or maniac. Ride was peaceful and calm. The fast storm gave us alarm as it appeared suddenly. We had to paddle quickly to shelter under a bridge. My alarm gave me a nudge. Through my case, my phone did say, it's 1 p.m. on Friday. Time for Riding Works Wonders. Sure, that would not hinder. A deluge of rain poured down with shelter we did not frown. Round Robin episode, she listened with me and crowed. What a great time in the rain. Riding Works Wonders does rain. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Lisa. Very clever. Very clever. <laughs> that was upon request, by the way, of you girls. <laughs> True story. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> we have one more raised hand. Carla Hayes. It's, it's funny. I did a water, water everywhere. <laughs> but I, I was actually thinking back to a time when my sink started spurting water and I was alone and it was water, water everywhere running from under the sink. It's not hot and it's not cold. And why, oh, why does it stink? Stop, stop. Tell me how, how can I stop this flow? And why, oh, why doesn't the plumber call? I don't really know. That's it. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. A tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.